Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Concord Matters where we seek to be of one mind according to the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, re-spoken, re-confessed, same said, echoed again that we might all again stand firm in the evil day knowing what we believe and why we believe it. I'm your host on this Tuesday, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, chatting with Pastor Peter Ill, the angelic one of Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt, Illinois, Pastor Sean Smith, the unanswerable one of St. Paul's Wine Hill, Emmanuel, West Point, Illinois, and Mr. Peter Slayton, subtle beyond all imagination, social media manager of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Did I say I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk? I guess it doesn't matter that much. I work here at KFUO. Hello. And we're ready to dig into a bit more of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, picking up somewhere around, oh, I just had it, paragraph 148, continuing to gravitate revolve around this most important of doctrines, the article on justification by grace through faith, something which at least so far as Melanchthon is concerned, you can't you can't say often enough in order for it to drive the point home. And this is maybe the most important thing to reemphasize as we dig in. Even if you think you got this thing down intellectually, it, it isn't something you're going to remember in the morning just by virtue of your flesh. You're going to need to be reminded of this sometime on a regular basis, daily preferably, but at the very least, this is kind of why you go to church, is to hear it again. Yeah? Thoughts before we dig into 148, guys? I was nope. going to say the comment about understanding it intellectually. As I was reading through the passage today, there are several points where I'm like, I don't know if I understand this. And, it, and I realize it's because, as we've talked about, my own flesh resists this particular reading that that this is all by faith and not by works. And so even as I'm reading Melanchthon explaining all of this intellectually, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> and I think that's okay to simply look at each other and admit, I don't get it. And in my head knowledge, I'm, I'm really grappling with this and it doesn't make sense. And you know what? That's okay. Because uh, as we're about to find out, Everything that we do, we end up doing in Christ. Yeah. I don't have to understand it because Christ, my Savior, the author and perfecter of my faith, does make it come to pass. And so if you understand it or not, doesn't matter. Do you believe this thing that your Jesus has done for you? If so, then rejoice and be glad and let your heart be at peace. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's part of the struggle because I want to understand it thinking that in understanding it, I will be, I don't know if saved isn't the right word exactly, but there is that temptation that I need to understand this in order for it to be effectual in my life. If I can throw this out there, that the particular temptation of having true doctrine, like once you have it, that then gets thrown at your flesh is precisely that, to come to believe that an intellectual assent to it on a, on a more perfect level will somehow guarantee your Pers uh, perseverance, perseverance, or your perseverance yeah. of the saints, right? So somehow it's by knowing it that I won't ever fall away. Well, 
it is that knowledge which will keep you from falling away, but it's not the active knowing of it. And that's why, in some ways, faith alone is only as valuable as grace alone. I mean, am I, am I going too far mm-hmm. in saying that, Pastor Smith? No, I, you know, everything else in life really points to this. It's it's a part of training our mind. I mean, probably the place that this sticks out the most evident is in the military uh, and, and, and provides a lot of relation here for us. Uh, you know, you go through a lot of effort to train your mind so that when all hell breaks loose, somewhat literally um, in war, you know, that your mind is in the right frame of mind to engage the battle and not get freaked out by what's going on. And this is this is really quite a, a goal of this you know, intellectual ascent, the studying again and again, um, because you do grow in understanding the more you do it. I mean, I'm right now I'm dabbling in winemaking. I'm really just beginning and I'm kind of overwhelmed as I'm reading books on it and things like that. And I'm like, wow, I'm never going to get this. I thought um, you just buy Welch's and like leave it on the counter overnight. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. That, or maybe two nights. A cheap way. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, as, as, as I do read more and I, I find myself understanding more mm. and uh, I'm starting my first batch this week and things like that. And so, you know, really what it does is it, you know, over time you find yourself, oh, yeah, I, I am getting this a little better. All right. Um, and I'm training my mind in these things by continual study of it and so forth. Now, I'm not going to be an expert winemaker, um, you know, just, you know off the bat. I know that. Um, but that's not really the point. Uh, the point is to make some wine and this, this is falling apart on me all of a sudden here. Uh, <laughs> but your back to the, back to the point. I don't know. So, my, so my what you're saying, Pastor Smith, there. is that wine <laughs> and then something more about wine and then yeah. more wine. No, but, but yeah, then, wine to those who are perishing, Proverbs it, it, says. It does say yeah. that. Um, they, may, they may drink and, and remember their, and their I'm suffering no more, right? right? Uh, <laughs> but but I think what you're getting at there a little bit that is really valuable. I don't think you're wrong. I mean, making wine's fine too. But, oh, now I'm going to lose it. Oh, fail, brain, dying, and here it comes. It's going to come back, I promise. I'm just going to keep talking until it comes back. <laughs> oh, the idea that we imbibe the theology, that, that we, it's not, it's not like I learn it and I remember it and now I take a test and I can pass it forever. It's that by the continual putting in of it, almost like eating food every day, your body, well, when you do eat food, your body absorbs it and turns it into your body every single day. So also your mind is just being rebuilt or refounded on these thoughts and ideas. So it's not even always so much as I know the right answer as I can smell the right direction, right? It becomes sort of an intuitive reality in your thoughts. And this is something where we as Lutherans sometimes receive pushback because there's this rumor out there that we tend to over-intellectualize things and we overthink them and that our faith becomes completely head knowledge and isn't at all lived out. Um, the Augsburg Confession and even the passage that we're taking up today decries that. And it says, this is this is why for the Lutheran Confessions, continuing in the law, not dismissing it, but saying, no, the law is important because it tells you what to do, not just what to think, but what the Christian life looks like. As we talk about the law and the way that it functions in the life of a Christian, a lot of times we talk, oh yeah, it's a mirror. It shows me my sin. And it absolutely does. But it also keeps us from those gross, terrible, awful sins that everybody can agree are bad. And it points out to us what the Christian life looks like. It serves as that guide for us as Christians. And so we do live according to God's law, not by ourselves, but in Christ. Yeah, it's interesting. You had mentioned, Pastor Fisk, about 
how it's not like we just take a test and then we're good. I actually had that exact conversation with an individual um, years ago where, you know, she's the next generation older than me, but she had talked about how, well, okay, let's put back up a little bit. I had been talking to her about how she had basically fallen prey to quite a few different heresies and was full-blown into word faith heresy, you know, miraculous healing kind of stuff, like she could just lay hands on you and heal you and all all this other stuff that goes along with it. And, and her response as I was trying to bring her back to Scripture and to, you know, what we actually believe as Lutherans, because she claimed to be a Lutheran, was, well, you know, back when I went to my Lutheran college, which will remain unnamed, I, I got an A on my doctrine test. I passed all my doctrine tests. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I know my nah, Lutheran okay. doctrine. So yep. moving on. And this is, you know, 30 years before, but she had this mentality of, yeah, I passed that test. I got an A on it. Mm. I got all the answers right. I know them. we're good. And yet here she was completely caught up in, in this heresy and kind of moving towards a cult, if you will. Um, so, yeah, it's very scary for, to see what can happen when we treat it as, I got the right answers. All and right, that, move on. That brings us back to the point where, that, where I started us, which is that we need to be, have our minds renewed regularly in these thoughts, and you really can't hit it enough, right? So yeah. that's what Melanchthon is in many ways doing. And we're going to go ahead and can look I give at— one more analogy? As long to, as it comes to, with a Walter quote. It, no. No. Makes it a little more is simple. It, is it homebrewing? Uh, no. A quote about no. Walter and wine. That would be interesting, no. too. No, Pastor yeah, Smith? I, you know, I live in uh, Southern Illinois now and serve as a pastor and, and good wine very old. Con- I live on Wine Hill. Uh, that's why I'm making Sorry. wine. Yeah. So uh, the uh, uh, very old parishes with some of my older members that actually learned German in the one room schoolhouse that we mm. have in their early days. And inevitably in their older age now, not many of them can really do their German much anymore. Hmm. You know why? Because they knew it. It was maybe even their primary language when they were younger, um, but then they didn't use it and it quickly falls away. And I mean, this was something that was primary for them that was most important. And we all know this again, just regular daily experience bears this out that uh, the nature of human life is that we have to constantly renew ourselves in these things that are really important. Otherwise, they easily fall away. And we, right. we all know it from experience and lots of different things. You're distracting me with another metaphor here, but it's, I love this idea. The, your thoughts are electrical currents running down chemical pathways in your brain. And so when you remember a thought, you are running the electricity down the same physical pathway in your brain again. If you stop, it begins to atrophy and to weaken and and to decay until you run something down it again. This is why the Lord's Prayer is something that Alzheimer's patients are, it's like the last thing that they'll forget is because they ran that line so many times. Frankly, if this is what we should be doing with our faith. That's why we have catechisms, why we echo, it's why we repeat, it's why we confess, it's why we go to church. It's so that those physical pathways of our belief system can get reemphasized and retreaded like treads in the road. And so I, I just can't say it enough. It's, it's a physical reality. Yeah. I think the title of this episode should be The Metaphors Have Taken Over. The Metaphors. <laughs> I should write some notes. Now when I write the notes, I'm supposed to be doing that. So the, the metaphors of... The metaphors have the taken metaphors over. Have t- Taken over. Taken over. I'll, I'll write it down after I read the paragraph. I'll throw it at you guys. So let's, let's look at the paragraph. Paragraph 148 in Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession might be labeled Article 5. So, therefore, in all our praising of works and in the preaching of the law, let us keep this rule. The law is not kept without Christ. As he himself has said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Likewise, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
For it is very certain that the doctrine of the law is not intended to remove the gospel and to remove Christ as the atoning sacrifice. Let the Pharisees, our adversaries, be cursed. Ooh, that's some fighting language. Mm -hmm. They interpret the law to assign Christ's glory to works. In other words, they say works are an atoning sacrifice, that they merit the forgiveness of sins. Works are always rightly praised in this way. They are pleasing because of faith. For works do not please without Christ as the atoning sacrifice through, for through him we have also obtained access to God, not by works without Christ as mediator. Therefore, as it is said in Matthew, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. We must believe that without Christ the commandments are not kept and cannot please. Thoughts? Yeah, this, we, we've said it before, this is another great section where it places front and center what the whole point of our confessions are about and why this is such an exceedingly long uh, article here, because it's really all about Christ. And you can't say enough about that. Christ is the Lamb of God who died for us to make us right with God, our Heavenly Father. That's what faith consists of. That's what the content of Bible is all about. And that's what the content of our Christian confessions is all about and has been ever since the Nicene Creed and the other creeds. Uh, you know, to keep Christ front and center, how we are made right with God. Um, is the content of all of this. And the law is there, placed by God into the creation of the world, but it's not going to save us, not a single time. Uh, God does not care what those who are not his children do. Um, I, I, I was dancing around. You could tell the hesitation in my yeah, voice. Yeah. You're looking at me funny. I want to use another metaphor, but we've already... Well, the metaphors have They're taken over. over. So Go ahead. We're doing it. Yeah, I mean... Like, I am Pastor Fish, you have children, right? You know, I do. and yeah, and they may do some things that I may benefit from in society, mm -hmm. and and while I may be somewhat thankful of that for societal benefit, they're not my children, so I don't right. care right about it. it it's, right. it's not going to make them any more my children, and that's what this is really saying too. Uh, the law is there, and even where there is civil righteousness kept, you know, we benefit from this, but it's not going to make you any more God's child. The only way you are God's child. The only way he cares is through Christ. And that's why scripture says that by baptism into Christ, we are made God's children. If I can push that metaphor a little further, I think sure. where, where you're wanting it to go. So it's one thing if, if my kids are disobedient, I don't like it. I get upset. I have to deal with it. Okay. If I'm at a restaurant and there's somebody I don't know and their kids are being real nasty and like screaming in my ear, ooh, now I really don't like those kids. Now, if I could imagine having a lifelong enemy who I have a, a death wish with, we some some life. You know, we're both we're both trying to kill each other. He's my my evil uh, the, the evil genius who is my Your arch enemy. Nemesis. My nemesis. There you go. That's what I want. You know, how am I going to feel about his kids when they do something awful? Even more so. Well, none of that. All of that pales in comparison beside the 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 divide that stands between God Almighty and those who are not his children, but instead are children of the devil, right? Which is who humanity is outside of Jesus Christ. And yet brought brought into Christ now, that sonship is is a reality as well, so that while God is angry, uh, he is angry only unto our salvation, whereas, out, again, outside of Christ, this is where that the, the God does not care thing. Well, he cares. It's just not a happy care, right? It's, it's just right. like, a, it's like a nasty care. It's a, it's a, I got to smash the fly care. I meant more care in terms of you know, making us right with him. Yeah. 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 He, no, he, 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 yeah. 
our, our works are not, a, yeah, <laughs> I, we're, we're both bouncing off of it. But right. so in terms of the caring, it God does not care about our works in such a way that he needs them to be pleased with us. He either is going to be pleased with us or displeased with us. If he is pleased with us, we're going to produce good works. And in that sense, it is the fruit of faith, right? I mean, like it says elsewhere in the Confessions, works are not necessary for salvation, but good works are necessary. Right. And so we do good works in Christ, but those works don't make us matter more. They don't make us more Christian or more children of God. Uh, we simply do the fruit of faith as the gift given us by the Holy Spirit, and that is an expression of that faith. Um, and I know a lot of times there's uh, the conversation about the book of James. You know, Luther said that the book of James was an epistle of straw, and we're not sure we should read it as Lutherans. And But it has a really good point. When somebody comes and says, you say, you have faith and I have works, and the response is, show me your faith by your works. Faith is living and active. And so we live out our faith. Uh, like I was saying before, it's not just our head knowledge, but it is something that expresses ourselves, but we can't do it without Christ. Not only can we not do, um, not accomplish anything for our salvation apart from Christ, we can't accomplish anything for anything without Christ. And it is only in Christ that our good works are works. Now, here's my question about that, though, because okay. the, the way in which that was said, does that mean that a Muslim can't raise his kids well or, the, or that a Buddhist can't help an old lady across the street? No. Any, anybody can do those works. Right. I mean, this, this so is, what's the distinction then? Well, it's the faith. I mean, that's, that's the thing. We always miss that. Even as you were quoting James, James still says faith. It's, it's still there. And we conveniently seem to just forget the actual faith part of that equation, even though it's clearly stated. Yeah. Show me your faith by your works. <clears throat> there it is. Um, and that's where we say, well, who determines what a good work is and what isn't a good work? And that is seen before God. And so uh, if it is seen by, by being made holy in Jesus Christ, it is a good work. If it is not seen in Jesus Christ and by having been sanctified by him and by his blood, then it's not a good work. And that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, there are wonderful things done by, by Muslims and by atheists and by all kinds of people according to human reason. My human reason says those are good works, but my human reason doesn't stand as judge or jury over these things. God himself in heaven does, and it's God who decrees if these are good works. How are they good works? They're good works if they're in Christ. Hmm. It's like, pa <clears throat> excuse me, it's like Pastor Smith was saying earlier about, you know, somebody else's children, they can do something that's nice and helpful for me. From my perspective, as I'm looking at this action taking place, this, this looks like a good thing. It helps me. It benefits society. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about good works in Christ. The actions may still, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, the actions may still line up as the same action. But the distinction is in the, I don't know, the, the direction. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it there or a, a way to clear it up at all. You're on the right track, though, I think, in, in wrestling with there's two different ways of talking about good works or maybe even two different kinds of good works. And the one that Pastor Ella is using is the good works of 
Christianity alone, which, as you pointed out, Peter, comes from faith alone, so that all of our works are seen by God through the lens of the atoning sacrifice of Christ, whereas those other things which are outwardly according to the law done by others that we would call good works of the civil or the reasonable realm, right? They they are good works so far as we see them. What we often do not see or cannot see is that they're done without faith, and therefore they're done apart from the atoning sacrifice of Christ, and therefore whatever smidgen of evil they have in the selfishness of the individual is in fact total depravity and a ruining of it all is but filthy rags in the sight of God. Right. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, it was, it, to, to use that metaphor again, I mean, I may rejoice um, in how it benefits um, uh, what other children do in my life. I may say, oh, this is, this is kind of good. But again, I don't have that personal relationship with them. And so this is where we then see that God uses even the evil and wicked rulers of the world and things like that. Um, you know, when they do good things, and he, there's certainly examples of this in the Old Testament a lot of times where he uses, uh, you know, the devil's children to accomplish things for his children. So in some level, he's like, rejoicing, taking, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? He's, he's, he's taking advantage of the good civil works that they're doing for the sake of his children. Um, but they, they don't, they don't benefit them anything. They're, they're not God's children. I'd, I'd like to continue reading here because what he's going to get into next, uh, I always appreciate when um, a good teacher with Melanchthon in this particular case can take the Ten Commandments and actually point us to where that promise in the gospel is. Because to me, that's what's helpful in the context of, of this kind of a conversation. So um, I always think of, I think it's Deuteronomy 6 that starts off with, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. I can't recall if the Exodus passage does, but that that declaration of what God has already done. He does the same thing here um, as we continue reading uh, just below line 149. Um, so in the Decalogue itself, in the first commandment, the most liberal promise of the law is added. By showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And that's the, the gospel promise right there. But this law is not kept without Christ. For it always accuses the conscience that does not satisfy the law. Therefore, the conscience flies in terror from the law's judgment and punishment. For the law works anger. A person keeps the law when he hears that for Christ's sake, God is reconciled to us, even though we cannot satisfy the law. When Christ is apprehended as mediator through this faith, the heart finds rest and begins to love God and to keep the law. It knows that now, because of Christ as mediator, it is pleasing to God, even though the incomplete fulfilling of the law is far from perfection and is very impure. We must conclude this about the preaching of repentance. For although the scholastics have said nothing at all about faith in the doctrine of repentance, yet we think that none of our adversaries is so mad as to deny that absolution is a voice of the gospel. And absolution ought to be received through faith in order that it may comfort the terrified conscience. It's reminds me an awful lot of the right of individual confession and absolution uh, that that I get to use from time to time, where uh, the last question before the absolution is, do you believe that the forgiveness that I speak is Christ's forgiveness? Uh, if you don't believe that this is the voice of God uh, coming through my mouth and that this is God's forgiveness, which has been done for you in heaven already, then why bother? It, but 
all of the opponents of the uh, Augsburg Confession, they get it, that the absolution is that promise. And they recognize that as the gospel, but they still want to add a little something. Um, In the medieval practice of confession and absolution in the Roman Catholic Church, they would assign uh, these these penance, uh, things that you need to do. And they'd have a, a manual that the priest would sit there with. And for such a sin, such a penance would be given so that uh, you would be able to work off that particular sin. Oh, you told a lie. You spoke back to your parents. Then you need to say so many prayers or confess the creed or uh, do this good work, quote unquote. But if these things are done without faith, if these things are done only so that you get out of jail free, more or less, then it doesn't then it's not a good work before God. This there, There's a the sentence right in the middle here that as I was reading it before and as I read it just now, it almost gives, I kind of had like an internal sigh of relief, um, if you will. And it's the one where it says, when Christ is apprehended as mediator through this faith, the heart finds rest and begins to love God and to keep the law. And I talked about at the beginning how there's I, I, you know, having that struggle of the intellectually wanting to understand it. And it's phrases like this. When I read this, it's like, oh, I, I get that. But more importantly than an intellectual understanding, I believe that. And as I read it and as I hear it, there's the gospel I'm looking for. It helps me with my intellectual struggle trying to understand it. But it also just gives me that comfort that I need that it is about Christ and it and it's through faith that this happens and my heart finds rest and it's wonderful. Nothing comforts like a promise and that's a fact no matter where but especially when that promise is from the almighty God. Conquer Matters coming right back. How was your day? Fine. Did you learn anything new? No. Anything I should know? No. Is everything okay? Yeah. Sometimes it can be hard to connect with teens. Use Connect With Me activity cards to deepen your conversations. Visit health.mo.gov connect to access these free cards and other resources. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. The next broadcast of Law & Gospel is an Insight Wednesday. During that time, we love to take a difficult passage from the Bible and analyze it for you to see certain insights. You can ask us to do one by emailing me at longgospel at longgospel101.com. Weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Don't let debt keep you down. Protect your career, your family, and your financial future with help from NFCC, a financial advocate who understands the money issues faced by current and former military members. Schedule a confidential financial review with an objective nonprofit NFCC financial counselor. Call us today at 877-404-6322 or visit us at nfcc.org military. You owe it to yourself. Get relief now. 
I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Every day, things happen that affect the lives of Lutherans worldwide. Whether it's mercy efforts to a disaster-stricken community, threats to religious liberty, or cultural trends, World Lutheran News Digest takes an in-depth look at one issue each week as I interview newsmakers and experts. All Sarah Golseth presents a quick look at the week's news. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. Thanks to Johannes Gutenberg, today's high-speed commercial printing presses can produce up to 15,000 sheets an hour. His inventing of metal movable type in 1450 has accurately been called an invention that changed the world. And the first major book he printed was the Bible. It's estimated there were about 30,000 books in all of Europe before Gutenberg's press. Less than 50 years later, there were as many as 12 million books. And the book that was printed was often the Bible. As people became more interested in studying the Bible, Bibles were printed not only in Latin, but in German, French, and even ancient Greek. Many believe that without the Gutenberg Press, the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century might not have been possible. Engage with the Bible. Experience the book that shapes history. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. You're listening to Concord Matters. We're looking at Apology 4, paragraph 149, where Melanchthon has reminded us of the first commandment's, well, prologue, which basically is this emphatic promise from God that he is going to show his steadfast love to thousands, to endless generations of those who keep his commandments, which can be the worst kind of law unless... That righteousness is fulfilled in the one man, Jesus Christ, who then declares it to you as a free gift. But then the issue is, if he is doing that, why on earth would you not want to keep that law? And then the native production or the supernatural, I should say, production of good works as a fruit of faith is what we're talking about. However, if you want to head over to at KFUO on Twitter and just put hashtag thanks in advance, I do got to say, you're going to make every one of our members in here in the room's day. So again, to thank hashtag thanks in advance tag Sarah Golseth as well if you can if you know how to do that also just hashtag TIA if you're running out of characters there I, okay yeah. yeah it's even better oh, it's if the new you do thing TIA you, oh, oh TIA for thanks, thanks in, in advance, advance. Yeah. yeah it's even this, better this has nothing to do with theology it has everything to do with making Sarah's day so absolutely she is yes. going to love this back on <laughs> yeah, we, we like to help our producers out Back on the ideas that I brought us back in here with, right? Good. So the, the, the thousands of generations, the, the it being a law, but in Christ it is now no longer a law. It is a gospel that doesn't undo the law. This is the point of the apology for it. We're, we're kind of running around in circles on this, repeating it again and again, as we were saying, because you can't hear it enough. Anything else before we would push out of that section? We've got a metaphor from King Meta 4 over here. Yes. Pastor yeah, Charles Smith himself. It. Well, I, I was just thinking, you know, as you were reading that uh, when Christ is apprehended as mediator through this faith, the heart <laughs> finds rest and begins to love God and keep the law. Uh, it was jumping in my mind the scene from Forrest Gump. Um, where he receives the large check from stocks and he's told that he doesn't have to worry about money anymore. And he's like, oh, good. One last thing. And then we see him out there still mowing the lawn at the football field and things like that. I mean, he doesn't have to worry about money anymore. So he's not doing the work because he has to worry about it. He's doing it because he, he loves like, doing he the work. Doing and, it, yeah. and, and, and we find the same thing happening. I mean, when, 
when we when faith clings to what Christ has done for us, and that's the only kind of faith that there is, it's like ah, one less thing. I mean, that's that's great. I don't have to work myself to the bone to try and save myself uh, because this world is going to hell in a handbasket. It will come to an end. I will die, and I'm going to need some sort of hope beyond that. And so uh, faith clings to the promise that Christ has taken care of that. And it's like, oh, great, one less thing. And so now I can do them joyfully without the burden on me of that I have to do them in order to save myself. You can see them for what they are. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite lines from seminary. Good works are good. Yeah. They're not bad. They're good. Right? Why would you not want to do them? Why would you want to murder people? That's kind of weird, don't you think? And that we find it in our flesh is not a reason to, to, to give in to that. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up then at, uh, at paragraph 151 here, right? So he continues, the doctrine of repentance, because it not only commands new works, but also promises the forgiveness of sins, necessarily requires faith. The forgiveness of sins is not received unless through faith. Therefore, in those passages that refer to repentance, we should always understand that not only works, but also faith is required. For example, Matthew 6 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Here a work is required, and the promise of the forgiveness of sins is added. This does not happen because of the work, but through faith, because of Christ. Just as Scripture testifies in many passages, Acts 10, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 1 John 2, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Ephesians 1, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and that vaunted Hezekiah 13, thanks in advance. Guys? <laughs> Wait a just we're getting death glares now. We, this is we, awesome. we were going to be doing so well, and then you gave us that one. Um, nonetheless, though, this is... Uh, as Melanchthon goes again and again over the uh, the path of faith is where salvation is found. Mm. It's not mm. in your works. And the word that really stuck out at me reading through this was uh, because. Um, the causal relationship is it is because of the faith that God has given you that you are saved. It's not because of your works. That way nobody can boast. So we continue to look in faith to Christ, the one who saves us. And then secondarily, Christ brings forth those good works that are good before God in heaven, but they're good because of our faith. They're not good because of, of our intention or how hard we tried or how helpful they were. All of those human common sense kind of things that we try to build in, don't make them good. Jesus makes them good. Mm. Jesus sees them done in faith, and that's where good works become good. Yeah, just you know, going with you just gave me a thought of a metaphor again. I don't know if this one is directly from Scripture, and then we're we're all making friends with Sarah through the through the window. She brought your Kleenexes all the way from the other place. I'm Pastor so glad Hill. she did. That's, that's pretty nice of her. I'm so glad she heard my thanks in advance that, too. It's no wonder. That's probably why she brought them. I'm sure it is. Yeah. So so imagine. A human body in the New Testament and in one of the stories where you, you see the leper, right? So the leper who has the human body, that human body is good. 
is created good by God. However, it's also tainted. It's also ruined. Christ comes along, and by means of his own righteousness alone, he can purify that body and take that thing that was good and make it eternally good. Does that work as a metaphor as well for kind of the way good? Imagine the human body is the good works themselves, that they have a, a form of goodness, but they're incomplete, they're ruined, they're corrupted. But when Christ comes along and adds himself to them, they become perfectly as they're supposed to be? Or am I, am I stretching it too far there? <laughs> I don't know. All I can think is whenever I try and use different language, I probably end up in some sort of Christological heresy. So I'm trying to figure out, is that one? I didn't hear one. No, because it wasn't But I might just be too tired. <laughs> you guys, Nobody's got, got anything. No one's got All right, any I think idea. you're good then. You're fine. I, we yeah. must be safe. Yeah. I did pass a test, you know, 13 years ago hey, or there so. there you go. I told you I was good to go. <laughs> you did get certified for ministry. That's yeah. that's for sure. Um, or certified for something else. Um yeah, I, I was thinking more of the gospel lesson for this coming Sunday in the three-year lectionary series, um, and, it, and it's tied in here, too, with this, uh, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Um, the coming uh, gospel reading for this this coming Sunday um, has the uh, parable of the, the servant who is forgiven much and then goes out and doesn't forgive. Hmm. And and I was thinking about this. This is precisely what is talking about here. When, when you actually apprehend, uh, and, and by that, I mean, you know, you have, you receive that forgiveness of your debts in Christ. When faith looks at that, because that's what justifying faith is. It's not imitating Christ. It's focusing on Christ. Mm. And, and I see, ah, this, this debt is not held against me. This huge debt. It would be stupid of me to go out there and not keep the law to forgive as I've been forgiven and, and, and hold a smaller debt against someone else. I mean, I'm going to keep that law because I, I, I'm, I've, I've received and I intellectually know, wow, I have been forgiven so much here. I'm going to go do that too. Even though our nature often doesn't do that too, right? Right. So this it, is like it, ongoing there's battle. There's this war. I mean, that's the Satan center tension for sure. That's why we got to drown, drown the center all the time. And that's as we're going through this, I had highlighted this does not happen because of the work. And I had the thought again, okay, how many times do we have to harp on this? How many times do we have to keep talking about this? And then I remembered, oh, wait, at the very beginning of this episode, I was talking about how I'm having a hard time intellectually grasping this. And it just kind of, we have to keep running in this circle because this is this is our sinful nature. It keeps dragging us right back down. I'm not going to pretend like, and we've talked about this off the air, and I'm not going to hide from it, that we're, we're kind of looking forward to getting on to some of the other articles, sure. right? We're, we're looking sure. forward to it because we want to talk about some more things. And in one sense, that that's good because they're articles of faith. In, in the other sense, so it kind of, it betrays like how much the flesh can't wait to get past Christ. Like we, not the, but the other one thing, thankfully, the other things are going to be about Christ. Yeah, at least but, the rest does too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but there is this like... <clears throat> dissatisfaction with just talking about Jesus. Huh? There's my sinful pride wants to say, yeah, yeah, I got that already. Let's keep going. Um, and my sinful flesh needs to continually be crucified, drowned, buried, because I need to continue to hear about the goodness of Jesus, my Savior. And as we get on into those other articles in the uh, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, we're going to talk about baptism and absolution and the Lord's Supper and how God sends pastors for the forgiveness of sins. Actually, we're going to talk about that on the next page. Well, okay, well, if, let's if we talk keep about reading, it on the we next can page, actually then. get to that now. All right. Well, then let's do that, and we'll pick up with paragraph 153. 
What need is there to recite testimonies? This is the very voice unique to the gospel, namely, that for Christ's sake, and not for the sake of our words, we obtain the forgiveness of sins through faith. Our adversaries work to suppress this voice of the gospel by means of distorted passages which contain the doctrine of the law or of works. It is true that the doctrine of repentance, that in the doctrine of repentance, works are required, because certainly a new life is required. But here, the adversaries wrongly add that by such works we merit the forgiveness of sins or justification. Christ often connects the promise of the forgiveness of sins to good works, yet not because he means that good works are an atoning sacrifice, for they follow reconciliation. Christ makes this connection for two reasons. One is because good fruit must necessarily follow. He reminds us that if good fruit does not follow, the repentance is hypocritical and fake. The other reason is that we have need of outward signs of so great a promise. A conscience full of fear has need of much consolation. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs that continually remind, cheer, and encourage despairing minds to believe more firmly that their sins are forgiven. So the same promise is written and portrayed in good works, in order that these works may remind us to believe more firmly. Those who produce no good works do not encourage themselves to believe, but despise these promises. On the other hand, the godly embrace them and rejoice that they have the signs and testimonies of so great a promise. So they exercise themselves in these signs and testimonies. Therefore, just as the Lord's Supper does not justify us by an outward act, ex opere operato, without faith, so alms or charitable giving do not justify us by the outward act without faith. Now, I think it's really important that we we do distinguish, though, between the supper, baptism, and works. I don't think he's trying to say that they're all the same thing or that they point in the same way. So I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that. But I also want to point out how disappointed Pastor Smith was, as you started reading there, Pastor Ill, because he, apparently he's not gotten to read on the show yet. And and Peter and Peter, you both continually just are, are so wonderful to jump in, but it's kind of pushing Pastor Smith we to like the side. We like to so, be helpful. Well, so I'm going to go ahead and thank you both in advance for letting <laughs> Pastor Smith read next time. <laughs> so back to I'm going to pull it back right away back to baptism and the supper as composed or as compared to works how are works a sign of faith but in which baptism and the supper are also signs of faith but now with confusing the two things well I think the answer to the question right here he says we need these outward signs of the promise we, we have what we've focused on a lot as we've been going over this article is the words that are spoken, that promise delivered to us in words, um, words of the absolution. We've talked about that just a couple sentences ago, but now we have these words, this promise in a very physical sense. Um, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think this is part of God knowing that we as sinful human creatures, we need these additional assurances. And so something physical the water has has touched me with with the word being attached to it where i can eat the bread and the wine god's body and his blood for the forgiveness of my sins i i, I often use the phrase i know what forgiveness tastes like hmm. i know what it sounds like i've heard it i know what it tastes like i know what it feels like and i think and and may, i don't know if i'm going too far with this but i think that's why we we need these outward signs it's this is coming to us it's being done to us in the same way that these words spoken reach our ears we have these other means that god adds to us because he knows how weak we are a colleague of mine used the phrase the heard word 
the tasty word, the wet word. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, and with the language here in in the Book of Concord, I do want to be careful because it talks about these things as signs. And I want to make sure that everybody understands these are not mere symbols. Mm. These are not reminders um, in a pure... Uh, disconnected sense. Here, Christ has put his presence. He has put his bread, his body and his blood into bread and wine. Here he puts himself into the water. And these things convey exactly what they say. This is his body and his blood for the forgiveness of sins. This is the washing of regeneration and renewal that we receive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not just a sign. But it is the word of God received um, mm-hmm. with a, a sure and certain hope. Yeah, when, when you go, you know, to get treatment for a physical ailment, right, um, you need to know where to go, a locale to get something physical to treat that ailment, whether it be medication, physical therapy, whatever it may be, right? And, and that's what it means by signs here. It's directing us to where we go to receive that healing of the spiritual nature of our sin problem found in Christ. And Christ has been very gracious. God has been very gracious to give us these physical things um, because we are physical people. He created us in the body. We worship him in the body. We receive his gifts in the body. And these signs indeed work forgiveness, life, and salvation as the catechism teaches us uh, to confess. So I'm totally in agreement with all of that where the place that it gets like tricky though, right? Is when he then says, so the same promise is written and portrayed in good works. So it, it could, it sounds like on the surface, I don't believe it is. I believe I have an answer to this, but I, I want you guys to have a shot at it too. It sounds like though, that he's saying in the same way that you look to baptism in the supper as a place to, to trust, as a place to learn, to believe. So also your good works are a sign that you're saved. And, and so you need to look to them. It, and it's like it's a gray line there a little bit, right? Well, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same answer we have with the good works. None of this is without faith. Hmm. That always remains. Uh, baptism without faith, i.e. the word, God's word with the water, is it's just water. Um, the Lord's Supper without faith, without his word added to it, that word of promise, well, it is just bread and it is just wine. Uh, it's interesting as we're talking through this. We well, actually, lo- I want to jump in on that thought sure. right there because that's not, I, I, I think I know what you mean, uh, uh, but just on the mere words, that's not actually what goes on because if we take 1 Corinthians 11 seriously, right? Mm-hmm. It actually is by God's promise, his very body and blood, whether we use it rightly or not. And if we use it wrongly, it's to our harm. This ties into the good works, right? That, you know, if we do good works apart from faith, they're actually damning to us. Yeah, good point. They make us sicker. Well, what I was going to say is that we'd have the same problem with with the sacraments as we do with with the promise itself. You know, the adversaries, we've been talking all about how they, they forget faith and focus on the works. We have the same problem in, in you know, American evangelicalism where you take away the faith and you make the sacrament simply a work. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's, I don't know, is if you guys jump in on this, is this pretty much the exact same thing happening here? Because what you see is, well, no, these are ordinances. That's usually the word that is used. These are things we do in order to obey God as actual works. And that's one of the biggest struggles for somebody who is first encountering are the biblical doctrine of baptism is like no 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 baptism is a work that I do for God how well, how can that save me I mean we're essentially having the same conversation but on the other side 
Well, in, in the same way that apart from faith, you know, the, the sacraments are damning to me, mm-hmm. right? Can be uh, for my condemnation, right? Uh, as the same way that they are comforting um, in, in, in a attached to faith sense, uh, it is comforting to me in a way that when I see these good works in a perspective, you know, I, I, I say, huh, that's, that's really not like Sean Smith to do that. Uh, it's kind of comforting to me that, that I'm in Christ and he's working in me despite my sinful self that would not naturally do those things. And so it is a bit of a comforting sign to me um, that that Christ is there. He's active. He's working. The Holy Spirit has been delivered to me through baptism. And and these these good works are, are flowing forth. Um, but faith is the key there for yeah. it to be a comfort. And some of the magic words in this passage from the uh, Apology of the Augsburg Confession are ex opere operato, by the outward act. If you are looking to your good works as an outward act to save you, you got a problem. If you are looking just just by virtue of the fact that you're baptized and not by virtue of faith, that you'll be saved, you've got problems. If you're looking to the action of the Lord's Supper or the action of receiving um, the absolution or the action of going to church, if you're looking to these actions and you have not faith, you're in deep, deep trouble. But mm-hmm. rather here, um, are your good works a sign of faith? When your works done in faith are, are seen by God in heaven? Yes, they are a sign of your faith before God in heaven. Can I determine the nature of my works or of your works? Well, no. But it is these works that are done in faith that are a a uh, part of part of that faith, just as Peter tells us to work out our faith with fear and trembling. And so this very much lays right in line with that. And so we carry on. I think a big part of what's going on here, definitely you're dealing with ex opera operata as kind of the driving point that that baptism and the supper are being brought up by Melanchthon as a way of showing that, look, if baptism and the supper don't justify without faith, of course your works are not going to justify without faith, right? So you're, you're really, as you're making this argument that almsgiving is actually a bigger deal than the Lord's Supper, you are, you're off in the madhouse end of the, the deep end of the pool. Speaking of mixing metaphors, right? There, there we go. So, but in, in terms of what we're wrestling with, though, and what we're struggling with, and I threw this question at us because I think it is really tough, is again this idea, well, then how are these things signs to me? And, and I think some, some of the, the language that really helps most with that is, is that next sentence, those who produce no good works do not encourage themselves to believe, right? So it's by, it's by that love of the law that I find awakened in my heart that when I hear the law, I desire to keep it and I strive for it that I'm able to see, yeah, indeed, Christ is indeed pressing me toward wanting to be better than I was, even though it's an imperfect keeping of the law, even though the good works themselves are in fact nothing and filthy rags outside of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. When one says, I believe in Jesus, James 2 style, but I don't think the law is something that's worth being encouraged to follow or to keep, what I end up doing is discouraging myself from the truth of Scripture. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I love you guys. They, uh, I discourage you myself Radio. Nobody can see no what's going on here. No one can see it, but I'm... I, KFUO we'll just call it. simply has the world's best producers. It does. That's what everybody needs yes. to know. It, it does. We're good. We like to thank them in advance for the excellent work that That's they do. We sure do. You, you worked it in. Well done. Well done. Uh, 
When I do not pursue the law, I discourage my faith. When I choose evil, I discourage my faith. When I when I uh, when I reject what God has said, whether it's His law or gospel, it doesn't matter. It's rejecting His word. This discourages my faith. And in this way, the loving of the law and the pursuit of the law is an encouragement to my faith and a sign and a promise from God to me. In with and under the blood sacrifice, the real atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, I think that all made sense on either side of the uh, the lovely delivery of tissue for the sake of Pastor Ill. Yeah. How much time do we have? We got about three minutes. All right. Can I take us to the next section here and read it because this this kind of makes it a little more complicated, maybe. So just keep it short. With, keep yeah, it short. Complicated, <laughs> thank, and then thank, we'll just cut to the end. Thanks in advance for keeping it short. Go. Well, I'll just read one line then, jumping ahead. So in paragraph 157, it says, So here we must say about alms that this entire newness of life saves. Alms also are exercises of faith which receives the forgiveness of sins and overcomes death while it exercises itself, it exercises itself more and more, and in these exercises receives strength. So I think that ties in with what you were just saying there, uh, but potentially can... Uh, confuses us a little bit when we read that line. So here we must say about alms that this entire newness of life saves. And here this is flowing uh, from an apocrypha quote uh, from Tobit 411 there. But uh, I say I had to jump around because of time, but I'll let you yeah, respond. Yeah. Okay, let me respond. <laughs> no, I think that does actually uh, link to this as well, that that the driving factor here is not that your work's saved. That's the very thing that he's been talking against this entire time. He would not undo this at the end of his argument. The driving factor is that when your when your faith does save you, works are going to be produced. And when you see those works, your faith is going to rejoice in them rather than point back to them as a means of salvation. And so in this way, the entire newness of life, which I have, the regenerate mind, which is faith alone, will see, look, my life isn't what it used to be and say, thanks be to God for what Jesus Christ has done for me. Yeah? But if you if you take this language and you do the opposite of what it kind of in some ways sounds like on the surface, you basically are saying the last, what, seven months of going through the Apology Oxford Confession, all is being undone in the last moment by Melanchthon just deciding that it doesn't mean what it meant a little while ago. What you guys are, I'm, I, you two are We're social there. media. We're handling our social media because that's how we get the word out about the show. That's right. That's a good thing. Getting the word out about Conqueror Matters. Speaking of which, we're pretty much nearing up the end of time here. Conqueror Matters, this has been the, what, what, the metaphors have taken over, the, the metaphor episode. Thanks in advance. Hashtag and oh no, are they ever coming back? You've listened to Mr. Peter Slade and social media manager of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Pastor Peter Ill, tr uh, Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstead, Illinois, and Pastor Sean Smith, Pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church, Wine Hill, and Emmanuel Lutheran Church in West Point, Illinois. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and I'm just going to leave the mics open as the music comes in for you guys to make some noise and make fun of Miss Mrs. Golseth, everyone's <laughs> favorite social media, not Peter Slade manager, right? Because yeah. Yeah, She's not you. Yeah, yeah. Of the and, ones who aren't me. And the ones who aren't you. And uh, say something, guys. Say goodbye to the people. It has been fantastic. Thank you, guys. Thank In you. In advance all. and after the fact. When Christ is apprehended as mediator through this faith, the heart finds rest and begins to love God and to keep the law. It's That's all about just Christ. Awesome. It is. Rock on. Rock on.